Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you are a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting and be finding out what inspires them. All of our guests have been recommended by other teachers on Twitter and various other places, and so they have many great and wonderful things to share, which I know that you'll be able to take away and apply to your practice. Uh, Very excited to share yet another week of uh, great content with you. This week, uh, we sat down with Julie Cassiano. She is known as Julie Cass on Twitter. Uh, That's at Julie underscore Cass one uh, and she was recommended to us by Jenny Rogers who was on the podcast uh, about nine or so episodes ago uh, and so she is a great uh, head teacher who uh, is linked in with the uh, the education roundtables that's been mentioned before um, she works uh, in a school um, that uh, she is working very hard on a number of things on all of which she uh, is has been very willing to share with us on this podcast today some great things which i know whether you're a school leader or a school teacher or a, any colleague in primary education i know that you'll take something away from this podcast because there is some great things shared here so without further ado i will let's sit back and enjoy the episode with julie cassiano Hello and welcome to the podcast, Julie Cassiano. How are you doing today, Julie? Um, hi, yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Enjoying the break. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's wonderful to get to the summer and uh, have a bit more relaxing time. And thanks for coming on to the podcast. Uh, Jenny Rogers uh, recommended you and so we're very excited to have you on today. Oh, thank you and thank you to Jenny. She's a great uh, colleague of ours from Ed Roundtables. Amazing. Education Roundtables, yeah. Oh, I've heard a lot of great things about Education Roundtables. That's fantastic. Um, let's um, start with your quick fire questions as we always do with every guest Julie so first of all what is your Twitter handle Um, Julie underscore uh, Cass which is C-A-S-S one perfect and uh, what has been um, your how many years have you been in primary education Julie Um, 13 years 13 years excellent and in those 13 years what's been your primary journey so far so what roles and responsibilities have you had along the way Okay, so I started obviously like most with. Um, so I started off as um, actually it's hard. So being qualified, I mean, I, within those thirteen years, I didn't mention volunteering experience. So just from being a qualified teacher, because yeah. I did lots of um, while I was a mum, I was, and that's how we can cover that. That's how I got into teaching. Um, so class teacher, um, middle leader, assistant head, deputy head, and um, now head teacher. And I've overseen um, all three club. Um, I've overseen maths, literacy, um, science. That was my middle leadership role. I kind of moved around and led all of those different subjects. I've led whole school behaviour in a large school that was going from a two-form entry to a form form as part of my senior leadership role. I always had subjects. I always led curriculum subjects. Um, but that was my senior role because the school had a lot of work to do in terms of whole school behaviour. Um and then I've led assessment. Um, I've been a DSL. I still am for safeguarding lead. So, in terms of leadership, I've I've led most core areas. To be fair, yeah, um, yeah I've led, I'm leading on curriculum as a head teacher at the moment. So yeah, uh-huh. sounds like a wide range there of uh, of experience, mm. which is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. And phase lead and year group lead and mm. yeah, to t- tip most of those. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, what is your favourite subject and why, Julie? Um, teaching. Um, yeah. My favourite subject to learn or teach, because that can be different. Either. <laughs> uh, learn and teach. Uh, I'd love to hear both if you want. Um, maths, PE and art. Excellent. Any particular reason why those? Um, PE leads on to my love for the outdoors and just getting out of a boxed classroom um, and allowing children to just be free. Um, and creative with themselves and their bodies etc and then art again I think it's just the creativity the freedom um, and maths I was very very good at maths and I just found a real niche I was um, a year six maths teacher and booster teacher I just seem to be able to get children to learn it I, I don't know what it is I just find it children just really they just I, I just get children to understand it yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love teaching it I love learning it 
just always love maths. Yeah. You, you often find that there's there's some subjects that just click, isn't there, when you're teaching them and you just mm. yeah, have a good affinity with them. And so, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I used to, again, I'll come on to the outdoors. I was very, um, I'd done a lot of maths out of the classroom that helped children to get it. Um, I don't think it should be just stuck in a classroom. Yeah. Excellent. Um, in your own education, Julie, have you had a favourite teacher and uh, why were they your favourite teacher? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll reflect on two. One as a class teacher was my year six teacher, Miss Bird. And for someone of my age, I'm early 40s, to remember someone from year six is a is a real thing, isn't it? She was amazing. Um, and she was one of these teachers that had, I remember her having a reputation throughout the school of everybody just loving her. Previous teachers, teachers used to come visit her. And um, I remember that it was everyone's dream to be in her class. Um, and then when you're in her class, she was just like your dream mum or grandma, if you like. She was really, um, she was just so kind, but she was so strict at the same time. She was really strict and she set those boundaries that children want. But she was really caring and she had high expectations of you. She was really excited when you achieved something for you. She was just everything that a good teacher should be. And I remember her very clearly. And I remember going back to visit her a few times. Amazing. That's yeah. Um, and finally, if you do, uh, or if you had to, or if you already do, what after school club would you run? Yeah, I have done I, I, cooking. Again, I don't mind doing anything that's creative. Mm. It's got to be, um, if it's outdoor, um, cooking, um, something that's not necessarily in the curriculum, although there is bits of cooking in there. Mm. Um, yeah, um, textiles, just creating something. Yeah. And oh, allow, yeah. anything that allows children to be free. Yeah. And it, it's not, um, there's too much getting it wrong in education, I believe. Mm. And I, I think, way, like you say, it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's sometimes. Absolutely. So to, to kind of express themselves in different ways, isn't it? Than, uh, than yeah. the focus is right now, which I think is such a, a great, well, after school club is a great opportunity to do that. So that's yeah. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Those are the quick questions at the start, just to get to know you a little bit. Uh, we're going to start now to, and kind of dig a bit deeper and ask you, first of all, what inspired you to become involved in primary education in the first place? So you mentioned, obviously, volunteering work and things like that was at the beginning. So what inspired you to get into that? Yeah, so, I mean, I've spoken openly about this on Twitter and um, as part of Diverse Ed, and I'll only touch it because it's only slightly relevant, but I did have in my early 20s um, a diagnosis of OCD and I had a, a breakdown when I that first um, became, when I first became diagnosis, there was not a lot of understanding. Um, and as I say, I won't go into that. I've done that on other podcasts, but that was a traumatic experience in my life. And part of my recovery, um, and um, once I came out of it, it was it was like I've often said it was the the Walking Dead. I felt like you know somebody who's that ill with mental health. It's like a coma, mm. um, but you're awake during your coma. So I had a brilliant psychiatric nurse who literally took me from running on empty to she just believed in me and she was amazing. And part of my recovery plan was to think about my future. Um, and at that time, I giggled, future, what future? You know, there is no future. Um, and, I, you know, it was it was a very, very dark time. Um, and then she was saying to me that part of your recovery is getting back into society. And, um, you know, um, even if it's not paid work or et cetera, you know, just getting back into society and doing things. And I had my two boys at the time. So I decided to volunteer in my um, children's school. And I was just listening to children read and just doing the things that parent volunteers do. And that's where it started. I just absolutely loved it. And it was actually the start of my recovery um, in terms of my own mental health. It's like I found what I was meant to do. So I went to, uh, to do a teaching assistant course and they supported me through it. I continued to volunteer and they just gave me more and more to do. They And I they always used to say I was really good. I had my own initiative and I could see things that needed doing and then I started supporting helping um for the end of um year um assemblies and things I really enjoyed all that the performances mm. and just taking children out and doing a bit of theatre with them um I just started helping the teachers just mark things that didn't need qualified teachers to do like you know the maths and when it was very just started sort of you know using my own initiative and see and they, they just said to me they really really enjoyed having me as a volunteer and said you'd make a really good teacher assistant and 
So I went and did the course and then it just accelerated from there. It was never enough. Now I want to be the teacher and now I want to be the head. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, it just went from there and I went and did my degree. Um, and yeah. Yeah. That, that's a fascinating experience and journey there. Like you say, if, you know, having to find a way into um, putting your energies into something that you really enjoyed and being able to find this. What, what would you say it was? Obviously, you, you go into the primary school, you go into the primary setting and you just feel like you, you love it. And you mentioned how you just clicked straight away. What would you say it is about primary education that for you just seemed to click with you and made you want to stay in this and make this a, a profession? Do you, do you know, I always say sometimes people say, oh, you know, and it, for people that education isn't for will say, oh, how can you work with children? And I often say, well, how do you work with adults? <laughs> <laughs> Even though, to be honest with you, now I'm leading adults, age adults are amazing too. But um, children, particularly primary, when they haven't all got their self-esteem and their street cred to protect once they get into secondary and hormones, um, they are just, I always say, they're the perfect model of what society should be. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's just me with 30 children and you've got your additional adults and support staff and everything, I always used to think this is how the world should be, that actually we're teaching these children about social morals and actually they, they've got it. Um, and it's actually as they get older and adults put ideologies into children that we become a bit different in our ways of thinking. But they know about friendships. They know how to be kind. They know they're so thoughtful. If you put news round on mm. and something traumatic in the world is, come on, miss, let's go out, we'll fundraise, let's do a spelling test, you know, they just want to take on the world. They're just, you know, they've got full of beans and confidence. And and I, I do feel sad that when they go into year six and move on to secondary, that what the world thinks of them starts to stop that mm. level of freedom of thinking and their ways of expressing themselves and being creative and, and the way that they want to tell you about their world. And, you know, I love it that children come together from all over the world, different languages, different faiths, and it's absolutely, they just love it. And they absolutely love learning. Mm. We've just got a um, a refugee from Ukraine and the children know what's going on and the empathy and compassion that child has received has been immense, you know, um, and the, what the children, they sometimes can overdo it. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I and I, I just love that they they love learning, you know, this idea that there are children out there who are hard to reach. I've worked with children from many and many backgrounds with different kinds of sociological issues going on in the background. And if your teaching's right and you, you, you target it to a certain way for certain children, they all want to learn. They just want to feel success. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can enable them to feel success, they will love learning. Um, and I love the way that they can get it wrong and they just don't care. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, yeah. And I do think in secondary, it's not teaching is absolutely amazing. It continues to be amazing, but society changes and happens yeah. and things happen to the secondary that, that yeah. I'm not sure would sit with me <laughs> yeah. as much as primary does. It, it is a different, it's a different circumstance, a whole lot of different factors in secondary, isn't it? And I think... Absolutely, I, yeah. I've yeah taken, the adults are amazing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I look at what secondary teachers do, just like I look at early years teachers as well, by the way, and I'm, mm. I'm in awe at what they do. <laughs> and so, yeah, I completely agree. But there is that thing with primary, there is that magic that's there. They're, they're, still, they're still curious. Even like you say, those children that struggle a bit more in the classroom, there is that underlying still innocence there. And I think that the thing that I've got a quote from you, which I'm going to absolutely, I love children are the perfect model of what society should be. And I just, I love that. It's just this point that these, that these kids are so ready to learn. Um, And obviously we have great experiences with them uh, and uh, we have memories that we'll remember for a long time as well. And so just in, from your experience, what's a funny story that you can share from being in primary education? I thought about that and I was thinking, you never know who's going to hear this and JD, GDPR and if someone connects with, oh, that's me she's talking about. And I thought, I'm just going to generalise this. Yeah. Um, generally, I think for primary teachers, it's regular that we can sometimes just get together and, hum- and humour some of the things that children write and the things that they will share with you um, that secondary certainly wouldn't. <laughs> And it's uh, the things that they'll write and they'll tell you about their families that when parents even you think, I think you need to look at this page. <laughs> the things that they'll write and share with you. You know, I remember one um, child wrote all about a beer festival that they'd been to. And this, it was absolutely no safeguarding concern whatsoever, but it was hilarious for them to explore how adults changed from this fizzy drink they kept drinking. <laughs> 
<laughs> but we weren't allowed to drink it. It was a special drink for adults. <laughs> <laughs> And it was so funny. And, and and they were laughing at things that really wasn't funny. And it was a really talented writer who really expressed. And I was thinking, oh, she's expressed a, a whole weekend of watching people get drunk. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's also an exam. I think um, actually sitting with children from um, when they do their sats, if you're a prompter. I absolutely love that because it makes you realise how nonsense these exams are for year six. So I sat with a child who was high functioning autism mm. and um, really bright, but couldn't access this paper whatsoever. Um, and was looking at the maths timetable. And you know, have you ever seen those things that go around about the most genius answers that are incorrect? Yes. The whole yeah. way through, it was these fantastic answers that were wrong. Um, but one of them was the timetable. You know, you always have to do the... Um, the train timetables to see you can read and but and I don't know why we do that now and we've got apps and it, we're still asking this question but there we go yeah. um and it asked you know which train would you get on to get here on time for this mm-hmm. what's the latest train couldn't get the concept of the latest he wanted to put all society into it and he said how important it was he got there on time so obviously I'm going to get on the first train <laughs> because I'm the type of person who's going to stop and I'm going to get distracted by the shop and I'm going to get it and then mum always stops when she's with me to get hot chocolate so that's something I'm going to have to do so he was budgeting in all this extra time he would need for the kind of character he is yeah. so he went for the first train <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I don't think that's what it's asking. Let me just read it again. The latest train, because it's testing the maths here. No, 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 no. Any sensible person would get on the first train. <laughs> I love that. And I thought, genius answer. And you know what? When, you're, when you when I sit there and I think of me planning journey times and dra- driving times and things like that, well, yeah, I'm not going to go for the latest because what if traffic turns up or what if, you know, you know? it's on the motorway? So logically, we're going to make sure we go the earliest. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's one example of many of sitting there and listening to how they interpret things around them that are, just shows their intent. Sometimes there's some really intelligent thinking. Name the shape, Bob. Those ones are brilliant for you too. <laughs> well, you've named the shape. Yeah. Oh, yes. Those are classic, those ones. <laughs> Brilliant. Those are two fantastic examples there. And like you say, well generalized, because of course, like you say, anything we share on here, you know, we need to make sure it's generalized. But I love that. I love those uh, stories. That's great. Um, so let's go on then to your primary three. And for any uh, listeners who are new to the podcast, the primary three are three things about primary education that are really important to the guests. Primary things about primary education. It could be top tips, philosophies, resources, uh, anything really to do with primary education. So thank you for sending me yours, uh, Julie, to start with. We'll start with uh, character education. So could you tell us, first of all, what is what do you mean by character education? So... Um... I will have to shout out um, the it was um, Roots Resilience that I covered in Leicester, um, and I'll put I will message you the I will put you the um, Twitter handle of the um, the person the kind of CEO who oversaw that um, from Healthy Schools Education or something mm-hmm. a Wellbeing Education. Um, so I do have to put his name out there because he was absolutely brilliant. Um, so I went on a five day long course on about implementing what's called, it was called Roots to Resilience, which was funded by the NHS, um, which is a program he wrote and led. It, it, it then stopped. So we couldn't use the term Roots to Resilience anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I moved school and I just implemented the strategies under the name of um, character education. And it is what it sits on the tin. It's teaching children. Now it's a really easy thing to do that it's not you know when senior leaders bring in we have an inset day and we're going to bring it in and it's like okay that's another hour added to my workload another thing I need to think about and actually staff loved this because it so wasn't very difficult so um, it was about strengthening children's character so what we used was um, character muscles so we we spoke to the children and we compared, okay, so if you want to be an athlete, you know, if you want to be a musician, these are the things you strengthen. But actually, we can strengthen our inner character muscles. So what are they? So if you go onto my website, I've got a whole page on character education. And then as a school, you come up with um, character strengths that you think your children maybe need to enhance. And with Roots to Resilience, you were given like 50 words that represent character muscles and you can iron that down to between 20 and 30 Mm. so at first it was 30 words oh my goodness but actually 
um, children's ability to acquire language in their early, the er, the younger they are, the more language they're absorbing. And there's a lot of, um, particularly, this is where they say private schools are better than us, that we tend to think oh, children can't take on that language because of all these different reasons. And it's absolute rubbish. You need to immerse them in language. Um, so we've got 30 character muscles, things like perseverance, resilience, um, kindness, some are very straightforward that children have, 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 um, know very well, and some of them aren't so much that you, you do have to sit and teach them. And then throughout the, in your planning, whichever, when you're going to teach a lesson, you draw upon th- between two and three of those character muscles and strengths that you're going to talk about. Um, and the, the connections are so easy. So every single classroom has a display in our, in our school, um, with all the character muscles on it. And it's literally just immersing the children in that vocabulary. So even in through our behaviour management, if there's been a conflict, we don't look at that now as as the behaviour policy, right, level three, you're going to be in detention, you're going to lose playtime. We do it through carrots. So it's all that restorative approach. So actually, conflict is a thing. It doesn't make you naughty. Um, so how is it that while we're having this dialogue, you know, what parts of my character maybe did you hurt when that happened? And then actually you didn't think this and... So, so we use it in everything we do through, um, you know, if, if it's a piece of artwork and we haven't really liked it, it's about that ability to reflect and be able to look at it and think, well, actually, you know, how is it I'm going to edit it and improve it through a, a stage of evaluation? And that's part of a character uh, strength um, is, is being able to do that, being able to look at your own work, be a critical friend to yourself. Um, and it's just been... It's, I personally think, you know, I implemented it for two years in um, a Leicester school and it just has huge impact in children actually doing the science of who I am. And then if you know the science behind who you are, then you can go on to be a successful learner. And I truly, truly believe, I mean, I've been at my school 18 months and we've implemented it. Um, so it's yet to still have the impact I want it to. But children do talk about it. And every single assembly, we have character muscles at the forefront of what we do and often in assembly i'll ask children about what you know it's, we're getting at that point now where they can actually turn around and refer to the character muscles that we've been learning about or strengthening so yeah that's character education in a small if you go to my website there's a video on there that explains all the theory and who the scientists were behind it etc mm. yeah and there was a book we were encouraged to read paul tough um paul tough like, Brilliant, a really good read. Paul Tough, um, How Children Succeed. And it's actually good at parents, but um, it's brilliant. Really, really good read. That's fantastic. Uh, and a lot of the questions I was having as you were talking through that, you, you're answering them as they're coming up anyway. Things like, you know, uh, in terms of how it's implemented in the classroom, obviously you mentioned through the planning and through discussions. Obviously, we have a PSHE slot in our weeks, but it's actually throughout, I imagine, the curriculum, like you mentioned art and things like that, where we're, we're using all of these things. It's, it sounds like to me a really uh, useful way of helping children to understand character, which is ultimately what it is, character education, but it's making it... Uh, you know, giving them specific words and then helping them to remember those words and use them in, in their daily conversation, uh, which sounds fantastic. Um, and you mentioned obviously uh, the links uh, that you wanted that you're going to share and the book as well. Uh, on our website, we have got uh, each episode. We put links and things up there. So if you send those through to me, uh, then all listeners can get to those and uh, find out. And obviously, go into more depth because obviously we can't really go into the depths we possibly could from this five day course <laughs> in a ten mm-hmm. or so section of a podcast. No, and I'll send you the. Um the website to the consultant who because i always feel bad when i set st- sort of state his stuff because i don't want to rip him off if you like um, of course. so i'll mention him as well yeah of course i know that that sounds fascinating and the way you also use them in terms of behavior management as well and addressing those in terms of like you say um focusing on the behavior that's been done or rather focusing on you know the the character that can be developed through that experience uh, and me and to say that that behavior was something they've, they've chosen to do, but it's not that doesn't make them a bad person or, or wrong in, or, or bad. It's making it so that they can focus on what they can do to develop themselves further and reflect on that so they can develop in the future. Uh, you mentioned uh, parents there. Has there been any ways in which you've uh, shared this with the parent community and, uh, and shared that uh, language? And have you seen ways it's um, being implemented further than the classroom as well? 
Yeah, um, that's it's, it's good that you asked that because when I initially, um, when we started it, and it was during COVID as well, it was just um, sending it. We were using Seesaw for remote learning as well. So um, all the information was sent to parents. Um, and I mean, then we got some positive feedback with some parents that were using it. Nevertheless, it is something you have to revisit every year and keep sending it out to parents um, and doing a workshop on it for parents who maybe missed it last year or new incoming parents or new families because we have quite high mobility. Any inner city town uh, tends to have that. So um, I, I've just sent a, start, a parent survey out, actually, and I, um, I did actually pose the question um, about you know, awareness of character education. And it was actually quite, it was, um, we had really good uh, feedback. You know, most things were in the high 80s, 90s, but that one was, I think, in about the 70s. So that is something I need to revisit um, with families because I do think it's, you know, it's really good. And in our previous school, parents were invited in to observe lessons where the um, character muscles were being used mm. and they were able to see, because actually I think sometimes yeah, parents' behaviour management is very different to school. Um, and I do think, I'm not sure about secondary, but certainly in primary, we're getting a little bit more in a positive way, looking at behaviour in a more complex way. Mm. I don't think in primary, you know, I don't think it's right that we've got good and bad children. Mm. It is another learning process, and we're really getting into that in our school. We've got a psychologist helping us with uh, behaviours, communication and emotional coaching. Um, and I think if parents were to do a bit more of that as well, I think we would see a different side to behaviour because they're they're very young to be, you know, putting a lot of pressure on them that they always understand what they're saying and doing. Mm. I do think most of behaviour is, is also education. So, yeah, that is something I have to revisit. It's Yeah, and it's almost a part of the curriculum that we don't really talk about or think as part of the curriculum is that behaviour and modelling and explaining with directing direct instruction on how we need to act and behave and look after others because like you say in some cases that might not be happening at home in some cases that might just be something that that child struggles with just like some children struggle to to learn mathematical concepts or things like that they may struggle to learn behavioral concepts and so I think it is important, like you say, that we have a vehicle and character education sounds like a, a great way your school is doing this to teach and to explain and to model that for the children as well. What would you say, just to round off this part of the discussion, would you say has been the immediate impact uh, with the children in your school from, from using this character education then? Do you know um, one of our pupil leaders, and I loved what she said, um, she turned and said she, you know, about character education, the new behaviour policy that we've put in and everything. She said, one thing I love about our school is that, you know, we're free to express ourselves through through learning. Um, and I think what children are definitely um, gaining from it is having a bank of vocabulary to describe the way they feel or the processes that can sometimes be identified as a negative perspective of a personality when actually, no, it's just I need to strengthen that part of me. Mm. But actually, I'm really good at these other elements. These are what make my character. And actually, I'm strengthening these. And we're moving away from, like I said, you know, so, you know, good and bad children. Mm. You know, even if you look at something, we've, we've done this in assembly before. We break down things that children have done that say telling a lie. That's just, you know, not that. So one of the character strengths is honesty mm. and, um, and integrity. And if you look at those things and when you break down why a child has told a lie, um, you know, that when you really fundamentally break it down and iron it, it's, it's, it's in their way. It's like survival sometimes. Yeah. It's there or when they want to get something or it's because actually they've been a bit selfish. But <laughs> when they can identify that and then say, okay, so that's a character strength I need to work on. And they actually know that there's language behind this. Um, it just, rather than really giving a child a good telling off, now you need to miss your play because you're a liar or because, you you know, can you see the difference? Yeah. And actually, okay, so character strength is honesty and it is something we have to practice because there is an element of us that's naturally quite selfish and there is a self-defense mechanism to that mm. and it is innate, but we're consciously aware of it. So you need to, it's a different conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, even if you're not saying that they're a liar, but you know, this, you've made, you've said this lie, so you need to have this sanction and then we'll deal no more. We'll draw a line. Still, yeah, we still and have it, the sanctions and reflective yeah. periods. Uh, and things. But what I mean is, is that conversation, unless we're following the character education principle, you know, that conversation of, well, why did, was that lie said? Let's explore this. Let's reflect on this. What do you need to develop in the, in the future? That's missing if we don't have that discussion there and there. 
And I think that that you say it, that'll just happen again because they're not reflecting on um, you know the, the things behind that. So um, yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. That's been really interesting to find out a bit more about. Okay, let's go on to the next of your primary three, which is all about outdoor learning and trip experiences. So out of all the things in primary education, Julie, why is outdoor learning and trip experiences important for you? Yeah, and um, again, I, I don't know the theorist of my heart, but I'll send you some some blogs and et cetera that I've read. But I was fortunate enough to work um, with a head teacher in London who was very um, passionate about outdoor experiences to the point where he... Um, had this vision that everyone thought was crazy to have a farm on his school premises and managed to get funding um, and all sorts. And then he an- managed to then inspire um, people within the school who were passionate about outdoor learning to create a team um, to um, <clears throat> to continue the vision of the farm, but also in terms of all forms of outdoor learning, um, in terms of um, building um, a residential, um, so very few children were taken up with the residential trips in year five and six for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so he devised with the outdoor learning team a plan in order to get children more confident and to overcome if there was financial barriers, etc. He removed all financial barriers, that that was never going to be an issue, that funding would be made available. If that was the case, no child was going to miss out. But there was also... Um, you know, there was um, various sort of some children didn't want to go or, you know, because they were nervous and there were some parents who didn't want to. And then there were some cultural barriers where there were certain beliefs that girls shouldn't stay out overnight outside their homes and et cetera to overcome. So he ended up making a whole school plan from early years to year six in terms of a residential. And it started off with early years and year one, I think, had um, a one hour stay after school where they had like just a bonfire and marshmallows. And then in year two and three, I think every single year they had some kind of after school outdoor and it built up to in year four camping, um, one night camping on the school grounds. Um, And then in year five, there was, I think, a two night. It was somewhere off site, but it was more local. And then in year five, it was in year six, they used to go to um, somewhere in Devon, the Eden Project. Ah. Yeah. Um, so they went really far. And I think when I was leaving, he did manage to, I believe, definitely in the 90s, an uptake of 90s by the time they got to year six. Um, and then there was that implementation of forest school. Um, and again, it just completely brought a love for education for the children. And for those, if we think about the GCSE rates or even SATs, you know, I don't think we often home in enough in how many children don't succeed mm-hmm. in education. And I think, we, you know, I don't think it's good enough to turn around and say that we have 65 to 70 percent of society jumping for joy on results day. I don't think that's good enough. I really don't. And I don't think we home in enough on that 35 percent who are broken. And they've been broken a long time before that results day. That's just the final cake that I never achieved anything. Um, and I think that it brings a really different form of education to children and it, it takes this really dry understanding that children can learn in this room all day long. And it sounds really obvious and cliche, but it's just not done enough. Um, and it's something that obviously I've taken with me in my leadership that I do promote. And I've been fortunate enough to find a school that was already um, on board with outdoor learning and it's something that the teachers are all really passionate about so we have lots of growing areas around school I've got teachers on a Friday afternoon who um, a bit like early years the whole school has got toys outside and it's all connected to what they're doing so um, it might be Lego building and it comes into the character education and then they've got role play going on and storytelling and for goodness sake what children don't need to come out and learn how to communicate <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, they do. And they're, 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 you know, the teachers like in early years are really good at the way they question and the way they get to do things to re-enhance things that have been going on in the classroom anyway. Um, and then they can bring that talk back um, into what, what it is they're doing. And, and like I said, it can be anything from taking some toys out and getting some children to reenact some of the things they've been learning in class to outdoor enrichment, going to the park. Um, like I said, it doesn't have to be, um, you don't need to read an academic paper on how to bring learning outside. 
little things like treasure hunts where children are finding shapes. Um, I never, ever taught shapes in the classroom, ever. It's like you hide a load of shapes and you get them to find them describing the properties. That's a basic, you know, taking children out for science into your garden areas, taking them to the park to see plants in real life, to see trees, to feel them, to draw them, to... And I, I don't really think... I think that really sums it up that I'm, I just encourage children, uh, teachers to think outside the box. Does this always have to be learned in this room? And if there is an opportunity to get children moving, feeling, exploring, seeing, drawing, playing with, choose that option because you're going to get that 35% who find this structure a little bit difficult are going to are going to get in there and um, enjoy. And you know, I generally think that 35% aren't always SEND. I don't believe they've also got social, emotional, mental health. I just think this system is not for them. Mm, you're right. Yeah. It's um, it's like you say, it can be done in such simple ways, like you mentioned, in terms of treasure hunts or just going out to model something in science or things like that. Just finding ways to be able to leave the classroom rather than sit and, and work on a piece of work or a worksheet or something like that is, you know, it's trying to get us to think a bit more creatively. Uh, and you mentioned already kind of your love of, you know, any, any clubs that kind of take children into different circumstances and scenarios where they're expressing themselves in different ways and giving all children that opportunity to succeed. Uh, you know, if we're trying to produce a piece of work that's written, you know, those children that struggle with writing are going to struggle every lesson in that case because they're not being given other ways to express themselves. Uh, so in terms of obviously you're very passionate about that, which is fantastic. Do you have any um, suggestions? I mean, for teachers who want to do more of this and take learning outside more and they're trying things like the treasure hunts, but they just want to find some other things. Are there, are there any resources or places that you uh, are aware of that people can go to to find out some great other opportunities to, to engage more with outdoor learning? Yeah, what I'll do is I'll send you, there are some really good um, people with Twitter handles that I'll send you. Mm -hmm. um, there's some I've communicated with. And um, there's um, one of our heads in um, Ed Roundtables is really good. At, he's re-revolutionised um, play times. Mm. Um, it's really structured now. He doesn't have people um, on duty. Everyone's play leaders. And he's incorporated a really good way of... Um, so and, and can't remember the organisation he works with that's helped him with this, but I'll send all of that to you. But I also don't think that we can, you know, sometimes I think the way the system's going, you can feel a bit guilty because you're going to send your whole school to the beach or you're going to set. So we've got um, the whole school go to the beach, the whole infants goes to the beach in the summer, and then all of the juniors go to theme parks. Um, and some of them collaborate, like five and six might go together to help with the coach costs and things. Mm -hmm. And then you feel as a head, oh, should I really allow this? Because, you know, and actually all of those experience then go on to help with things like imagination. Um, how do you describe thrill? How do you describe context and feelings? And when you're coming to do all of that work and children sit there and say, don't know what to write. Well, if you're immersing them with those experiences that we sometimes assume they're getting, then they will know. And you can refer back to, I remember in year three, I'm sure you went on a trip. Do you remember feeling something like that or seeing something like that then that you could possibly describe? And, and, and you know, um, so, yeah. And children come back when they've been to these theme parks or the beaches and things. They've got work to do to focus on um, where it's all connected. So, so yeah. yeah. And that, and that, that you say that is such an important thing is using those opportunities to learn further beyond that, just that one one experience as well, which I think is great. I think that the um, the company you might be thinking of is Opal, is it outdoor play? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we've had we I think we've had the individual on this podcast talking about that, and it is another great example of how. Um, as a whole school, you can embed that approach across the school and uh, make that just a really valuable part of the education that the children have as well. Um, so no, that is that is fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing more about that. Uh, let's move on uh, to your final of the primary three, uh, which is SDT, which stands for self-determination theory. Um, so would you like to talk to us, uh, first of all, about what that is all about? Yeah, so I studied this module as part of my MSc leadership now. It's actually generalised. It's used as, um, do you know, because I've studied it so long ago, I've 
forgotten who the actual theorist is, and I know it begins with a B, and I know he passed away not long ago, but I'll send you that information anyway. Yeah. But um, we, I learned it as um, how to implement it as a leadership strategy as part of motivation. Um, but I actually thought this is such a good theory to impart onto teachers because, let's face it, teaching is leadership. Yeah. And I've often thought, I don't believe there's much different that I do now than I did as a teacher mm. because I now, I see myself responsible for the adults in my school in the same way that I was responsible for a class. And I don't actually see the children as much of my responsibility. I have to monitor the outcomes of pupils to help me to lead the school. But getting the best out of the children will always sit with the teachers. I don't need to tell a teacher to do brilliant things for the children. I need to ensure that the budget, I need to ensure that there are things in place to ensure that they can do the best. And I can only do that by asking them and involving them um, and trusting they'll go on and be brilliant for the children. So that's my job. Now, so a lot of leadership theory that I've learned in my journey, I've actually thought this is actually a really good teaching strategy because teaching, if you, if um, trying to motivate, inspire and get 30 people to learn every day and behave what isn't leading, I don't know what is because that's surely what somebody who's leading an Asda store does. <laughs> it's leading, isn't it? So it stands for... Um, so it, stands for self-determination theory and it links into self-efficacy which is a, a, a science behind sort of motivation and how you get people to be motivated to do things um and the three aspects of it is to make sure that in all you do that you offer um that that they say that for humans to feel mentally well and to be able to function that there's three key things that they require a sense of autonomy which links to your freedom. Um, they need to feel a sense of competence. They need to feel that they're able to do their job and apply themselves. So if they're being understretched or overstretched, um, and that leads into sort of the feedback that they're given in terms of um, positive praise, but also being able to say, now you're ready to be able to do this because you are able rather than your next step is because you're not doing it. Um, and then um, it's a sense of belonging. Um, they need to feel... And that, that comes in a sense of purpose, um, having a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. Um, so that comes under the Equality Act. That comes under um, ensuring that you have an understanding of the people that are working within your community um, and that you're making policy decisions that, that are inclusive and aren't allowing people to feel, well, actually, I'm not included in this. And that comes down to... Um, the same when in the classroom. So if you're thinking about in terms of how you're planning and leading your classroom, are children involved in terms of, we have prescribed learning objectives and we might even be given by subject leaders topics and things, but you can still give children a sense of autonomy in terms of projects. And and um, so if say if we're studying, so particularly in um literacy and things like that sometimes I feel that to make my job easier as the teacher we're all going to study one text but I've also thought actually I remember doing this there was a child who was absolutely honestly he had such an obsession with bumblebees I, don't, I can't remember what it was and he went through this fascination so literally for about two weeks we over immersed this boy with bumblebees and I was able to get him he was quite a hard to reach child um, and I'm telling you, the amount of work I got out of this child because he just moved away from doing the cortex that we were doing and he was doing his nonfiction with bumblebees and whatever. Now, I know that he did have an SEND, he had an educational healthcare plan, so that was easier to do. But actually, do you find room within your planning where there is an allowance where it's objective-led that children can choose the context in which they're going to learn that objective? And then you can collaborate in groups in terms of, okay, so you're going to be working on that and you can rely on your additional adults or you can break the class into groups of 15. So I'm going to work with 15. I've put the input in because that's your interest and now I'm going to do And then they go off and do theirs, and et cetera. Um, so, and then in terms of belonging, well, you know, the theory is, you know, it's all out there at the moment, but there's so much work we've got to do with systematic and structural, um, systematic and structural um barriers that are in place for varying groups of people to access education that comes under the Equality Act. Are we doing enough of, of to ensure 
that all learners that come in, they feel that they belong in terms of representation of what you're including in the curriculum? Do they see themselves in the curriculum? Um, and beyond, you've got the protective characteristics. But I also think that we're we're a bit dated with adding social class on there. Um, I think that should be a protected characteristic that isn't always looked at either. Um, and then um, competence, that comes into, and the EEF has actually done really good research uh, to help head teachers to revise all their uh, marking policies and feedback policies. And it actually does show some really good examples of time-wasting feedback that we do every day. I've done it, we've all done it. Much of it is just nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's actually really time consuming. It is how is feedback enabling all students to feel they're competent for where they are? And how are we getting children to feel reflective in their own personal learning journey? So I was here and now I need to get here and I'm going to stop looking over there and I'm going to stop looking over there at what everyone else is doing. This is my journey. This is the rate I'm moving at. And that's an improvement from, you know, so I do feel I've got a place and I am here and I am competent in who I am and that merges in with your character muscles etc and growth mindset so yeah it's, it's implementing that model and that's certainly something I'm very reflect I've got that poster up in my room I can't when I go into the summer holiday like I didn't even know what day it was all of this goes but I have got a poster of that up in my room and sometimes when I'm having conversations I refer to it um yeah. with staff um and even in SLT we we talk about you know, uh, I don't necessarily use that language all the time, but it's very much, OK, so how are staff going to belong to this? How are they going to feel a sense of autonomy? How are we going to involve them, uh, et cetera? So, yeah, that, that's, that's what, that one. It's really interesting. And I think as as a school, first of all, thinking about school leader level, uh, is this something you share with as a, You kind of already answered this, but is this something you share with your staff as well and encourage them to look for these things and, and do in the classroom as well? Or is this something you the way you lead that you, you model it? So how, how do you deliver this with staff? At the moment, because um, I went into school 18 months ago, um, and the first thing I had to do was, which came from staff on autonomy, um, was um, redo the whole curriculum. Um, and that's been a lot of work. And there's been a lot. Doing the whole new curriculum and um, character education has been the main meaty bits that the class teachers have been doing. Um, and then in this one form entry, um, Every school, every teacher is a, a subject leader as well. So they've had all of that work to do too. So this is something that's been consciously on my mind mm. that I'm needing and I'm thinking of those elements. Mm. Um, and I'll give an example of this is when I first took on the school and I noticed that there was quite a few things that were required due to the previous head was um, very, very good. And she, you know, um, her her thinking behind SEN was revolutionary and it's a massive reason why I took school on but um in terms of COVID and then the new Ofsted framework came in and I think heads were very differing positions of where they were at with that some schools had raced ahead regardless of COVID and some hadn't and there's no wrong or right it was about what you had to do for your community our school hadn't progressed at all towards the new framework and it'd been out 18 months when I took the school on so my main focus was to use that theory to get the work that needed to be done um, that wasn't frightening for anyone. There was a lot of work to do, but I had to make sure it was done without making anybody feel nervous. It was actually, this is a really exciting thing because we can just reinvent this and have a great time, <laughs> you know? And are you with me? Are you getting on this really exciting train sort of thing? And that kind of comes from that theory. Um, and I knew other heads that went in panicked at what they saw and then led them to um, treat maybe staff in ways that they probably wouldn't have done yeah. if maybe they'd taken on a school that was more in line. Yeah. And that, that for me is, I think, is what has kept me going and been able to um, succeed for the eight months I've been there. I don't know if they might come in next week and tell me all next term and say that I'm actually really doing a bad job and I might get told to leave but until then that's the way I'm just going to keep doing it um staff at the forefront staff well-being staff autonomy does everyone feel they belong do they feel they're competent are they getting you know praise and are they get you know 
and, and that's just the way I will lead. And um, But in terms of moving it on to teachers in the classroom, no, I haven't done that yet. And that's definitely something I definitely want to do. But I think for now, we're still we're still getting through. And I, I think just role modelling that way of leadership mm. will internalise behaviours anyway, I hope. Well, like, and like you say, and I love the point you make about teachers being leaders, and they really are, you know, in the classroom. And I was, I'm do, I've been doing quite a bit of work recently on ethos and attitudes and looking at how ethoses are built into a school. And actually, teachers have that role within their classrooms. They are, they are microcosms of what the school is. And they have a huge role to play in being the leader in that classroom. And so, like you say, and I've, I've, as, the, as the time goes on, I'd be interested to hear from you how that's going, because I think that these three things of autonomy, competence and building a sense of purpose of belonging are really, really useful ways of kind of focusing in on what needs to be done and helping those individuals that you lead succeed. And teachers, if they can take this on board, think of how they can give autonomy to children in the classroom, build their sense of competence through the feedback that they give, and also um, give them that sense of purpose and belonging and making sure they feel included in the curriculum that they're delivering. I think there's some really powerful principles there, which is great. So thank you for that. Um, let's, uh, well, we'll move on to our, next, our, our, our penultimate question. You'll be pleased to hear. Uh, thank you so much for all the great ideas so far. Uh, for, for you, who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast? Uh, do you know, when we go into things like this, it's, um, you know, you always feel really scared to leave anyone out. But because you have ironed it down to just primary, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Primary teachers or edu or leaders, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Any primary college. Yeah. So I think I have sent you the links, but I would definitely, um, Raphael Moss was the head teacher at the school I spoke about in London. And is he doesn't like praise very much. Um, he's one of those that just likes to go and do a job and be, be, be left alone silently. But he's, 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 he's not great. He's not, not great. He's not big on Twitter. I mean, he doesn't use it a lot, but he, he's, he's, he's huge. He's a really, really influential, um, person. Um, and I think it would be really interesting to hear his leadership journey um, that I observed um, taking a school from two form to four form whilst in the midst of trying to prepare for an Ofsted inspection. I think watching him do that with such integrity, with so calm, it was such a stressful period for that school. And he's gone on to create the leader that I am. And I, and I hope, you know, really, really, I'm definitely, if he would, would do it, I would definitely uh, choose him. Um, and then, um, I think, um, the Twitter handle says so Annie, a, a B underscore teacher. Um, Annie, Annie is, um, a teacher in London and she will talk a lot about, um, P, P, um, P4C. She got me into philosophy for children. Um, which quite is a different avenue to character education. Um, she's really strong on that and about creativity in the curriculum and art. I know she's um, spoken before um, with Dr. Emma Kell. Okay. I know she who works in Buckinghamshire, so she's done some work with her. So she's definitely um, um, someone to speak to. And then um, Christala is a, and now she's um, currently now an executive head teacher. No, I think she's now a CEO. Yes, she was an executive head. She's a CEO um, and oversees several schools in London. Um, and I think uh, and she's um, a leader in women's ed. Um, and, and so she 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 often she's done some really good podcasts. So, fantastic. yeah, some fantastic uh, leads chase there. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Julie. And finally, uh, for the final question for you today, uh, what for you is the best thing about being in primary education? Do you know, I think we've touched upon this as well. Um, so sort of I haven't say, stating primary school sort of says, well, why not secondary? It kind of looks like that type of question. Um, and I don't know enough about secondary to be able to compare. But one thing I will say from speaking to secondary colleagues is I don't think I would survive in a secondary culture because I think that it's too, by no means for the teachers or even the leaders, I think it's far more political. Um, I think um, it's very, very exam pressure, which is so not what I'm about. Um, and I think it's really about getting children to fixate with numbers um, next to their name that sort of tell them how successful they've been and I, I think 
from speaking to many secondary colleagues, it's it's probably why so many walk out because they don't also agree with it themselves. Um, so I think in primary, we've got year six apps um, and there is an element of pressure on heads with that, but that's one year group. Um, but I still think we've got lots and lots of freedom and autonomy in being able to be really creative with our curriculum and making sure that as long as we're reinforcing these objectives, there's freedom in how we do that. Um, and, and I do like as a classroom teacher that you can get in with all of the subjects. I like the fact that we spend all day with the same class so that we can really build those positive relationships with children to have the deep root understanding about who they are and who they and, and where they are in their learning journey. I think having an hour with someone a week if you think you only see them 30 times in a year, I remember taking my children's parents evening in secondary and it was like, <laughs> you could tell they didn't have a clue. Who, 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 sorry, who are you again on this register? <laughs> that's not for me. Thank you. I really, no. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, I, I just, yeah, I've always loved primary. I've loved that age group and, and, I, and I expressed it before. I just think, yeah, when they get all hormonal and, and I, and, and I, and I also feel sorry for secondary because I think, many colleagues are shouting out now that all of the resources that are needed to deal with sort of a lot of these secondary issues that you get with behavior and um they just don't have they just the fundings that's being stripped from secondaries it is from primary as well um but i think the needs become even greater especially mental health now in um secondary um yeah so yeah i think well, thank, thank you so much, Julia. It's been fantastic and so many fascinating things to go away and think about and think how we can apply it to the classroom oh, and, and more things. So thank you so much for joining us on Primary Education Voices. Thank you for having me, Matt. Thank you for inviting me. Well, wasn't that fantastic once again? Another great uh, guest on this podcast. I love just the range of different uh, views and, and uh, insights and ideas that we get on this podcast. Um, so many things which help you to take away and put into your practice or are there for you to reflect on. Um, just I love the discussion that we are able to have as primary colleagues because, of course, there are so many different ways of approaching education that um, it's interesting to be able to reflect and look at ways that we can um, apply these things into our practice. Um, Julie's uh, interview was, again, no different. Uh, some fantastic things uh, that she shared with us today. First of all, about character education. I thought this was really interesting to look into. Uh, it may be something your school uses already. It may, your school may already use something that is fairly similar, uh, or your school may not be looking at this uh, type of approach when looking at building character and uh, qualities in children at all. At whatever stage you're at, it was interesting to hear Julie's uh, insights into character education uh, and how um, this approach can help you to develop children to build their character give them the, the vocabulary and the understanding behind that vocabulary on how to build that character uh, and be able to apply that to not just behaviour um, management concerns or issues, but also into the curriculum, into whole school assemblies with parents to make sure that they're trying to use that at home as well. Uh, and so just be all working together to build and um, to help build the qualities that we would seek to have in our children. So I thought that was a really interesting discussion. Outdoor and learning uh, and tr outdoor learning and trips, of course, uh, Julie mentioned, uh, and just the importance of making sure we keep um, education varied uh, for our children, making sure that those children who do struggle with the core subjects of English and maths, that they are given opportunities to succeed, not just in the subjects that they like, but within subjects where they can present or learn in different ways outside of the classroom as well, to give them the opportunity to learn in different ways too. I've certainly seen that in my own teaching career when we've done things a little bit differently. Some children have been switched on a lot more and taken in more of that, that content and that knowledge that we want them to learn. Of course, we are looking to help children build a knowledge-rich understanding of what we're doing. Uh, but in the different ways we can do it, there are a vast number of ways we can do this. And so I thought Julie's um, input here on outdoor learning and, of course, trips, which are a huge part of what we need to build into our curriculums as well to give our children the experiences that they would not have otherwise so that they can then be able to explain and define and describe them more easily 
I think is a really important uh, aspect of what she spoke about. And finally, self-determination theory, the three things that all humans need, autonomy, uh, a sense of competence and a sense of belonging or purpose. And I love the way that Julie obviously applied it to school leaders. So if you're listening and are a school leader, this clearly can have great uh, impact on the way you lead your staff in your school, giving them the autonomy to work in certain ways and areas that they can use autonomy. Uh, helping them to feel a sense of competence and challenge uh, in what they're being asked to do and also give them a sense of belonging and purpose um, in, in your school community as well. Such important principles. But of course, this applies to the classroom as well. Teachers are the leaders of their classes. And so any leadership theory that we can discuss and see have an impact in leadership will apply to teachers in many ways as well. And I loved how Julie broke that down and applied that uh, to children in the classroom too. So uh, all of the links and things that she discussed, uh, of course, as I mentioned, will go on our uh, website, primaryeducationvoices.wordpress.com as we get through uh, catching up with those episodes. So keep an eye out for that uh, if you're interested. Or of course, I'm sure uh, if you'd like to, you can either DM or contact me personally to get the information, or you can, of course, I'm sure, uh, approach Julie herself. She'll be more than willing, I'm, I'm certain, to share more about what she has spoken about today and of course on that note please make sure you share the podcast make sure that you please leave a review and subscribe to it um all that's left for me to say that if there is a, if there is someone that you'd love to hear uh, more from in the primary uh, education world then please contact me on twitter through at prime edu voices or me personally at m roberts 90 matt and let me know what inspiring primary teacher ta support staff leader you'd love to hear on a future episode Uh, Thank you once again for joining us on Primary Education Voices, and we'll see you again next time when we will meet another inspirational educator.